All right, what's up, people? Welcome back to episode three of the Weekly Wellbrook Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Chris Wellbrook. First off, just wanted to give a huge shout-out to Annie Spoleto. Thank you so much for being our first feature last week, and I want to thank everyone who, who checked in and listened. Um, it was so it was just really great to, to hear Annie's story, um, and I just feel like when you put words to your experiences, it's so empowering, not just for you, but for kind of everyone involved. I've had you know great a ton of people reach out and just say that, you know, what was said really resonated with them and that, um, you know, what we talked about just isn't talked about enough in society. So that's literally the point of why I'm making this podcast is to talk about stuff that really matters in your day-to-day life. So with that being said, I'm super stoked to announce our uh, our next guest, our next feature, one of my former students, Sarah Weglars. Uh, if you know Sarah, you know that she's one of the kindest people on this planet. Uh, she was super involved at WHS. She was on the varsity volleyball team. Uh, she wrote for The Lantern, and she founded and, and uh, led the Care Lake Cake Club. Um, so I was really excited when Sarah reached out to me um, and asking if she could you know, get on here and talk about her experience with grief. Um, this past year, if you remember WHS or just Hamilton County in general, it's been obviously a really hard year. But specifically for us, we lost four students. We lost Miles Jones, Reese Kelly, Liam Kelly, and Broken Coy. Um, and it was a it was a really hard time just in general. But I just feel like the way it was handled, we never really sat down and talked about it. Not just with grief, like with those grieving, but also how do we talk to people who are grieving? Um, and what is really like what were the underlying factors that led to you know all of their deaths? And how do we move forward from there? So. Personally, as a teacher, I felt like we had, there were so many questions that were left unanswered and there was so, it was just, I don't know, we just kind of like proceeded as usual. So when Sarah reached out and wanted to talk about processing grief, what it's like for someone who is grieving and what you can do to help someone who is grieving, I immediately jumped on it. So um, it's really cool too, because Sarah was involved in writing two of the tribute stories for The Lantern, for Miles and for Brogan. So um, I'm really excited to sit down. I'm gonna be at Rivet Coffee, uh, one of my new places, uh, one of the new coffee joints up in Westfield. So we're gonna sit down and we're gonna you know, talk about her experience writing these stories and then her experience um, with the loss of her sister and how she processed that grief and what are practical things that we can all do to not just show empathy, but just love each other better. So with that being said, I'm really excited. Hope you guys like it, and uh, let's hit it. All right, what's up, people? I'm joined here by Sarah. Um, we were talking a little bit before this, and she you know, she was telling me her story, and I was really, really intrigued by hearing about how you know, writing these tribute stories for the students that we've lost over the past year have really you know, intertwined um, with her own experience with grief. So... I would love to just, I'm kind of, kind of, I'm going to kind of open the floor to her right now, but, uh, yeah, so here we go. Hit it, take it away, Sarah. Yeah. So, um, my senior year, this past year, I was a senior, I'm graduated now, but, um, I did the lantern, which is like our, um, online school newspaper. And two of the stories that I wrote this year were for two of our fellow senior classmates that have passed away. Um, the first one was Miles Jones. And then the second one was Brogan Coy. And um, it was, it was kind of interesting. So when our editor, Cooper, was, um, we were having our storyboard day and he was asking who wanted to write which stories. And 
um, Miles was one of the stories that um, was on the storyboard and he said who wants to write it and no one raised their hand and I think probably just because it's scary to write about an issue that's as deep as that or that can affect people as much as a death can um, but no one raised their hand and I just kind of felt this like nudge in my heart I guess to, to raise my hand and say I'd write the story so I did and I never written anything like that before uh, to be honest I was nervous because <clears throat> I know how much um, words can affect people and mean to people especially when it's about someone that we've lost so I wanted to make sure that I did a good job um, and I really didn't know like where to start in that process but I figured that maybe the best way to start would be to reach out to the people that knew Miles the best and those were his parents so I got their contact information and I emailed them and we ended up meeting at Java House in Clay Terrace and we talked for like an hour and a half and she just um, shared with me things about Miles and things about how their family has dealt with grief and loss and I was able to put her story um, into into words and um, that's a, a process that I found out I really enjoyed and then um, with Brogan his was a little bit more recent it just was published at the end of the school year but I now that I had you know one story under my belt I kind of knew the process a little bit better but that doesn't mean that writing the story um, came with the same emotions and you know the same feelings and because writing a story like a tribute story is heavy um, and so I didn't talk to his parents but I did talk to his twin brother Bronson and he shared with me some of the struggles that they'd faced throughout um, you know their lives as kids and just growing up through their teenage years and then um, he shared with me a little bit about Brogan's struggle with addiction and um, that's that's kind of what I wrote about in um, in the tribute story for Brogan and I writing this story was also a little bit difficult because when you're dealing with an issue like addiction there's um, a fine line that you walk because you don't want to portray you know the person that's that's dealing with addiction as a bad person you know because we're all people but sometimes we just make bad decisions and you know the experiences that we have growing up affect our 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 older years um but you also still want to acknowledge that addiction is a real issue and that um it it has life and death consequences um but i i received a lot of positive feedback from that story and i was really um i was happy with the way it turned out and i was happy with the way that i um that it's touched people um, and so those, those two stories have been really um, emotional and impactful for me, um, especially because I've dealt with loss in my own family. And so that's, I think, why I was able to connect with those, um, those families really well. And, and I, I just felt like it was right for me to be writing those stories. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I just think it's so amazing that you were able to, you know, put words to to the emotions both good and, and and really tough that that these families were going through and allowing other people to gain insight into you know the worlds in which people live um yeah talk talk to us a little bit more about the loss that you have experienced in, in your life i know that you're really open in sharing your story and i've heard at ted talks and, and to teachers at whs but um but yeah no tell us a little bit more about that yeah so I have two younger sisters. Rachel is 11 now, and 
Um, Kate actually would have been seven this year, but when I was a sophomore in high school, um, January of my sophomore year, um, Kate actually passed away. She um, was five um, when she passed, and she went to St. Marie Gretti. She was in kindergarten. Um, one Friday in January, she got symptoms that kind of resembled the stomach flu, and then, um, you know, she wasn't feeling too great. She was kind of laying on the couch, just, you know, watching TV. She had a little bit of a fever, just, you know, but we weren't too worried because kids just get sick sometimes, um, and, you know, no one, no one expected what did happen to happen, um, but then Saturday came, and she was doing a little bit better. She was, uh, sitting up a little bit less tired you know she didn't have a she broke her fever Um, but then Sunday morning came and she was really lethargic when she woke up in the morning just not herself she didn't want to get up she wouldn't walk Um, and so my family decided to take her to Peyton Manning Children's Hospital emergency room and we got there Um, the nurse was just kind of like what's been going on so we told her and um, within about an hour and a half to two hours of us being there, she passed away. Um, and I'm sure you're wondering what happened to her, um, which is a valid concern and question. We also are still wondering the same thing. So um, because she was a minor and her cause of death wasn't known at the time, um, they the state of Indiana required an autopsy. And when they did the autopsy, they actually did not, did not find anything except um, a little bit of fluid in her heart and her brain which just would have been caused by CPR Um, but they did not find anything she looked like a completely normal healthy five-year-old girl and so the best guess or the best thing that they could come up with was just a virus of unknown origin and that's actually what the cause of death says um, on her death certificate so that's that's what happened yeah it's tragic in so many ways um you know, talk to us a little bit about, like, what did you do, you know, immediately following this to kind of help yourself and, and to get yourself back on on your feet? And what was that like, you know? For- mm-hmm. So the first probably few weeks were honestly just kind of a blur. I really don't remember very many day-to-day details. But I think one thing that people don't talk about a whole lot is all of the kind of like administrative tasks that have to be done after someone dies. I mean, you know, we had to go to the church and set up her funeral service and we had to go pick out a gravestone and, um, you know, we had to sign the death certificate and get some legal things done. Like, and those tasks are so difficult when you're in the midst of such suffering, but they still have to be done. And so there was, that's just something that I, that you wouldn't think of, but, um, that still had to be done and those things were really hard I remember um it was a a Friday morning and we were sitting there picking out her gravestone and I was I just remember sitting there and thinking like never in a million years did I think I would be doing this right now and there's a lot of you have a lot of those moments in the immediate aftermath where you're like wow I I can't believe I'm here right now like I never thought I would be doing this um and and the days were really hard um I spent a lot of time crying Um, I spent a lot of time, like, asking God why he would let this happen. I, I struggled. I was angry because, obviously, that was, it was so so sudden and so tragic. I, I just questioned why, why it happened. 
Um, but soon after that, I'd say that was about the first month or so. And then, um, my family did a few things to kind of start help us all coping with our grief. So the first thing we did was we all enrolled in individual counseling. Um, and we actually all still do it to this day. And that's something that has been, uh, tremendously helpful in healing and, and working out all those difficult emotions. And then we also did something called Brooks Place, which is a um, family grief group or program. Um, so what happens there is you go as a family and for the first like 20 to 30 minutes, you're, they had pizza every time. So we'd all like sit down and eat pizza together with all these other families who had also experienced a, a loss in their immediate family. And um, then they would break us down into different age groups. So my parents would go to the the group for parents and I would go to the group for teens and my sister would go to the the group for like elementary age kids and uh, that was truly the first time that I was able to connect with another teenager who had experienced um, the same losses I had and uh, I, I won't ever forget this feeling either um, too I, I met a girl there and she had lost her brother in a car accident and I just you know as tragic as as both of our stories were I think we both felt a huge sense of relief because it was the first time that either of us had talked to anyone who had experienced the loss of a sibling. And it was just like, you know, wow, I, all these emotions that I am feeling that I thought I was alone in, someone else has also been going through the exact same thing. And so that was, that was really helpful for me. Um, and then the third thing we did was a program called Grief Share. And my dad and I actually did that together. And that is a, a Christian grief group. And it, um, just kind of adds that faith perspective um, into your journey um, with healing after a loss. And that's something that I, I didn't get from Brooks Place that um, I needed in my life. And, and so that was also very beneficial for my faith life. So those were kind of the three, the three steps that we took to aid in our healing after yeah. Kate died. You, you know, Kate passed and then you said you had all the administrative stuff and then you ultimately had to go back to school right and yeah. then like so tell me a little bit about how how was it you know going back to well like I guess what you would call regular normal life right day-to-day -day activities right. what was that like in your interactions with people um so I would say so in grief group they talk a lot about having a new normal so you have your normal life before your your loved one has died and then they die and then you have a new normal you know you just you kind of have to adjust to life after the fact you know that that person's not living in your house anymore you're not picking them up from school you're not like taking them to practice you're not interacting with them on a daily basis and so um that is very a very substantial change in your life and it's it's hard to deal with um but in addition to that I think one of the other things that that makes grieving difficult is how your interactions with other people change. And one of the things that I noticed a lot after Kate died was that I would, you know, try to talk about Kate or share a memory with her. And when I talked to people, they would either try to change the subject or just kind of be silent. Or, you know, sometimes when I would interact with people, I could kind of like see it in their eyes that they wanted to ask how I was but they didn't know if it was appropriate or not um, and so I think that's one of the things that was a common shared experience in my grief groups was that we all just kind of felt alone not when we were together talking obviously but just in our day-to-day -day lives and I think it's because 
there's such a stigma around grief and death and, and people are just afraid to talk about it. But, you know, in reality, I think not talking about it is probably one of the worst things that you can do because it just, um, it, it, it exaggerates that loneliness that grieving people feel because not only have they lost their loved one, but they've lost normal interactions with other people. And I think that's, that's a loss too. And it's something that's not really acknowledged very much. I think, especially if you haven't experienced loss before. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Um, you know, you talked about when I mean, we kind of hit the stigma stuff already. And if you want to, if you want to go into any more depth about, you know, how it makes, how, you know, having that societal stigma makes it difficult for people to heal from a perspective of someone who's lost somebody Mm -hmm. because a lot of people who are listening to this have not lost somebody right Right. especially a sibling yeah Um, and that puts you in a very unique category to really allow us to learn more from you Mm -hmm. so I think so one of the things that I noticed first off was that people would say things like oh I know how you feel because I I lost a grandparent or you know, I, I know how you feel because I lost my cousin or an aunt or an uncle, you know, but what I wanted to say to them was, you know, that person didn't live with you. You didn't, you didn't wake up with them every morning before school. You didn't eat dinner with them. You, they didn't sleep in the room right next to you. You didn't share a bathroom with them, you know, like there's all these small details like that, that you just would never think of, you know, if you haven't lost someone like like after Kate died, we came home and all of her, like her toothbrush and toothpaste were still in the bathroom, you know? And it's like jarring when you come back and see that, but it's not something that you would ever think of if you haven't experienced grief, you know? And so, um, that's where I, I think empathy comes in because, you know, even if you haven't experienced a loss, you know, even if you haven't experienced the exact same loss that than another person has you can still I think if you try to put yourself in their shoes and think about all those minor details that maybe wouldn't be so obvious on the surface that I think you can we can do a lot better of a job of um you know trying to relate to people and and trying to make them feel less alone yeah let's go dive deeper into that empathy aspect you know yeah um like what are like tangible things that you would recommend people to do because you know a lot of people would they would try to relate and be like yeah i lost a grandparent Mm -hmm. and like it sounds like from your perspective that kind of backfires in some sort of way right so if people are listening to this and they're like okay i i truly want to be there for another person right how do they go about doing that yeah so i'm sorry for the wind is this wind just gusts through here we're we're here at we're here at my one of my new favorite coffee shop the rivet shout out to rivet in westfield indiana Okay, good to go. Okay, good to go. Um, so one of the things I think that is the best thing you can do is just just ask how someone's doing. Um, I, it sounds simple, but there were very few people that asked me that, and I knew that it was genuine, you know, because some people would say it, and I just I didn't feel comfortable answering with anything other than, like, I think, you know, my, my standard answer was like hanging in there because I was, you know, things, things weren't great, but I I was still alive. I was still here and I knew that was for a reason, but I mean, my, that was hard. I mean, dealing with loss is really hard. And so, um, but you know, when people would say, Sarah, I really care about you and I, I just want to know how you're feeling right now, whether that's good or bad or somewhere in between, 
I, I care about you and I want to know. Those were the people that whose words meant the most to me because I knew they were genuine and I knew that whatever I said, there'd be no judgment. I could be having a, a terrible day and they would just sit there and listen or you know, I'd be having a better day where I could talk about Kate and share some happy memories of her. And I knew that they would just, you know, sit there and listen to that too. So I think, uh, being genuine and just, just wanting to know truly how, how a person is, I think that's one of the best things you can do. The other thing that people did that just was so heartwarming. Um, I remember it was a few days after Kate died and, um, one of my mom's friends, didn't even text her, just dropped off groceries at the front door. She just texted my mom and said, hey, there's some food for you in the front door. Like, you know, feel free to eat it whenever. It, she just went to the store and got, like, bananas and strawberries and apples and, like, bread, lunch meat, just, you know, stuff that you would normally eat. And um, that was just something that we didn't even know we needed. But, you know, turns out you really don't want to cook after you, you know, just lost a family member. And that's not really something you think of either. But um, that was really helpful. So just, just doing tangible things like that, that can really help people out that, you know, they probably don't want to, like, none of us wanted to go grocery shopping. None of us wanted to leave the house, you know? So doing things like that. Um, I think, I think those are probably the two most important things, just being genuine and, you know, expressing concern and then, um, doing tangible things to to help them out I like that that's really that's really big I think being genuine and just listening you know seems like seems like and obviously doing the tangible things right those are those are really big things and I just want to add on one more thing too I think I think listening is really important Mm -hmm. because you know the more that I've talked with people who've experienced loss and grief the more that I find out that like really the only thing that grieving people want is the listening ear because, you know, it's hard to find ways to express your emotions when you're grieving. But I think that talking with people that you know are going to listen is one of the, I know it's one of the ways that really helped me heal. And I think, so if you can just sit there and, and listen to somebody and, and not pass judgment and just, you know, try your best to, to empathize, like we were saying before, I think, I think listening is really important too. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know... In, in the world, all I think we really want is to, to feel like someone really cares and, mm-hmm. and genuinely wants to be there. And when yeah. you lose someone and you feel so alone, like you said earlier, right. like all you truly want is someone to listen. Right. You know, and that's huge. Um, you, you talked about how faith is a really important aspect of, of your life and your journey through this, right? right. Because you've done a whole lot of healing since, yes. since Kate's passing. Um, could you just talk about, you, you mentioned earlier that you wanted to hit on, you know, that there's two sides to this coin when you talk about losing someone close to you and a family member. Yeah. And, that, and it's kind of regard to faith. So would you like mm-hmm. to elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, for sure. So I don't think I really had ever thought that deeply about this issue because it, it never, you know, affected me personally. But obviously when Kate died, it, it did. So I think when, when she first died... So I'm, I'm Catholic, and so faith is a big part of my life. Um, I think when she first died, the only things that were kind of running through my head were, like, this is just God's plan. Like, I just, I just have to trust it. I, you know, I know that this was just, like, what he wanted for our family. Because that's just, 
you know, when bad things happen, that's what Christians are taught, just to, that's like the standard thing that you do. You just say, okay, like, I might not like this in the moment, but I know that God has a bigger plan, and, like, this is what he wants for me, and so, you know, I just kind of have to suck it up and deal with it, and that's, that was, like, kind of my first thought process, you know, right after it happened, just because I, I didn't know any better, or I didn't know anything else, or I just didn't know what else to think, and, um, but the, the more you learn how a loss, how profoundly a loss affects your life, I think the more you question God and the more, especially if you're religious, the more you question why he would let those things happen. And, you know, I think I'd be lying if I said I, I never questioned that because I totally did. And I think that's normal and healthy even. Um, I, you know, people would always say to us, people said this at the funeral and, you know, whenever people would reach out and, and contact us or say they were sorry for our loss or whatever there would always always be a comment in there about like you know you're such a good family I don't know why God would let this tragic of an event happen to like these good people you know and and so the more I thought about that and the more people kept saying that to us I was kind of like oh like you're right like why why would God let this happen to us you know and I so that was definitely a something that I had to think a lot more deeply into that I had never done before. And so I kind of came to the conclusion that there were two, two sides to suffering, whether it's a loss or, you know, whatever it might be. I think sometimes suffering can draw people closer to God because especially if you're religious, people, people turn to God when they need something, you know, or they're hurting. Um, and so I think I always ask the question, like, why does God allow suffering or why did he let this happen? And one of the answers that I've always gotten um, has been to draw people closer to him. So I think that's part of it. But then the reason why I questioned that answer, that suffering, God allows suffering to, to draw people closer to him is because sometimes suffering turns people away from God. And I think I think that's completely understandable. Um just because loss is so, it's so hard to fathom, especially when it's sudden and unexpected, you're just, you're devastated, and you, you do question, you're like, God, like, how could you let this happen to me, you know, I'm, I'm hurting so much, um, and so I think, I, I get it, why people would turn away from God, because it's really hard, um, and so I guess I've never really come to a definitive conclusion of why, God allows those things to happen, but I, I did come to this conclusion, but I don't think God causes them, those bad things to happen, I think he allows them, and even though I've never really, I will never know the reason why Kate died, like, scientifically, her, her, her cause of death, or, you know, why God let that happen to our family, but even in the midst of all that, I have seen little sliver, little slivers of light or God or goodness or whatever you believe in. I, I've seen a little bit of that after Kate's passing. And I think one of those ways has been the Carol Lake Kate Club, which was a club that my cousin Allie and I started after Kate died to support Peyton Manning Children's Hospital, which is where Kate passed away at. Um, I did a grief presentation for the teachers at WHS just because I felt, um, 
and that presentation just went over concrete ways to help students that are grieving. And I, I told my story and I, I explained to the teachers some of the things that they could do to help those grieving students. And I think um, that was lacking before I did it. And, you know, obviously things aren't perfect now, but I hope that that made a little bit of an impact in their lives. Um, and then I also did a TED talk at the end of the year just about um, the power of vulnerability and how, um, you know, when we experience loss or grief or when we suffer, sometimes the best thing we can do is is to, to walk into our pain and embrace it. And though that may sound a little ironic, I guess it's, it's really the best thing you can do um, for healing. Because when we close our hearts off to the pain, then it just sits there and festers until it explodes. And, you know, sometimes you just have to sit in it and embrace it and be vulnerable and open to those difficult emotions. Because I think, I think that's the best way um, that we can heal. So that's incredible. I, I just feel like, you know, you have grown so much from from this really tragic event, you know, and used it to really serve and help other people. And I yeah. love that, you know, when you first told me Sarah was my student last year and literally you were quarantined before you uh, like even were in my class. And like the first thing she said was like, here, here, let me tell you my whole life story. Um, but, you know, I just love that. Like just so open and so honest. And I think I can really relate to and identify with the walking into your pain. Um, but it's hard and it sucks and sometimes feels alone. Um, but, it's, you know, to anyone who's out there who's going through, you know, grief comes in many forms right like Sarah's form you maybe you didn't you're not experienced or have never experienced that but it doesn't mean that you've never experienced grief mm -hmm. but I can 100% say that we have two people on here that would be 100% down to listen oh yes to for sure. anyone who is undergoing stuff and feels like that they are all alone you know yeah. and I would also add that you know grief doesn't doesn't even have to um, be the after effect of like a real loss of a person that died I think grief can come from uh, you know, having a family of addicts like um, Brogan, when I when I talked to his brother, um, we talked a lot about how that can that can cause grief. Even though, you know, obviously Brogan passed away, but from you know issues with addiction. But you know, his parents were still alive, but they were addicts, and you know that is a loss in and of itself. And I think you know having a parent in jail can be a loss, and you know. I don't, whenever it might be, it, having a divorce is a loss. Having divorced parents is a loss. You know, there's just all, all kinds of things that I think people don't quite realize how profoundly they impact our lives, like I said before. So, so grief doesn't even have to come from a real, a real loss of a person. It can also come from, from other types of situations, and I think that's um, important to not dismiss. That's, that's so important to talk about. And, and I think a big thing that comes with, you know, the fact that grief is so widespread in so many different ways is the importance of talking to other people, you mm -hmm. know? Like, in my room, I really try to create such an open environment where people can talk, um, you know, because I just feel like, you know, we're, we're all encountering a form of grief in some way or the other or loss, right? But if you just bottle it up and keep it all inside of you, you're going to explode and you're going to feel alone. And you're not going to be able to really grow from that experience. You're just going to try to stay stuck. So Yeah, and I think the other thing that I kind of realized, or I think part of the reason why I'm so open about 
talking about grief and loss and what my family has experienced is because I, in general, I try to keep my life a little bit more on the private side. Like I don't broadcast everything that I'm doing and I don't talk about my personal experiences a whole lot. But, you know, when someone dies in your family, that's a very public event and, you know, there's no way that you can hide it. And so, you know, when I tried to hide it at first, it just made the whole situation more uncomfortable. And so I kind of, I guess for lack of better words, just like buckled on my bootstraps and was like, all right, I got to, I guess yeah. I just got to talk about it because no one else will. And I think it surprises people how open my, my family and I are about talking about it, but it, I think it's been better for us because it makes it less uncomfortable. Like I think people are more comfortable approaching us about it. And I've also learned that sometimes bad things happen to you and you just have to embrace it because there's, I mean, you can't bring her back. Like she's dead and that's just what happened. And I think people are also sometimes surprised like how blunt I am about it, but it's true. I mean, you just, sometimes bad things happen and you just got to suck it up and talk about it. And that's, I feel like kind of what I've done. Yeah. And so often in society, someone passes and it's just the same routine of like, Oh, I'm so sorry. And then thank you. And then life goes on and it doesn't really get addressed on either side. Right. So the people, you know, who are trying to, I don't know, maybe console or reach out to the person who's struggling, they don't know what to say. And then it's just this whole awkward thing. And then everyone just tries to leave and then they leave and then nothing happens. right? Right. So I think what you're doing is truly transformational, and I feel like the ripple effect of your actions just within the school and maybe in this podcast, we'll see how <laughs> far-reaching this podcast is. Uh, I, yeah, I wanted my life private too, but then, you know, I, the whole bachelorette thing kind of blew that up. Well, but like, yeah, it but is what it is. Right? It is what it is. I just got to buckle up my bootstraps and suck it up, right? But like, That's like the quote of this podcast. Yeah, right? Um, I had a good point. But, like, your ripple effect of your words are going to reach people. And I already have seen it. And I'm confident that, you know, wherever you go at Ohio State University (laughs) next year will be amazing. Um, But, yes. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for coming on. It's always a pleasure. Of course. Um, If anyone listening wants to throw me a topic again, you know, I got a couple people lined up for the future. But, you know, if if you have something that now that you see the types of topics that I'm deciding to choose to put on here... Um, please reach out at weeklywellbrook at gmail.com. I do check that thing, and it is my personal email. So anyway, I appreciate y'all listening, and check back next week. We out.